Happy Easter to everybody. Good to be with you today. Want to welcome everybody across all of our campuses. This is the last of five services. This is what I call the empty the tank service, right? Anything else I got left in the tank, I'm gonna empty it out. I got no time constraints at this service, all right? All right, man, all right. So, hey, uh, hopefully you've got your Easter survey card in hand right now. I really would appreciate it if you'd uh, participate in this, and, and here's why. Uh, what this is is just some vital information that we take every year at Easter that helps us know just how to serve and how to pastor you better. That's all that it's for. And some of you might be like, well, why in the world are we doing a survey on Easter? That's simple. This is the one weekend where you all decide to show up at the same time. So we're gonna get some information from you. And so if you would just go ahead and pull this out, I'm gonna walk you through, it's gonna take 60 seconds. All right, so uh, top there is like year of your birth, uh, male or female. Here's the first question. Uh, how would you describe your relationship with Jesus? Check one box and just be completely honest. Like, this is anonymous, right? So you might say, I'm a committed follower, just beginning that relationship. For many of you, this might be true. Like, I'm a Christian, but if I'm being really honest, I'm not growing. I've just kind of strayed a bit. Uh, and then the last uh, two responses, I'm ready to respond or I have no intention of responding. Just check one box. The next is, uh, what area of your life presents the greatest challenge right now? And that could be a single word. You know, you might write in anxiety or addiction or, you know, money or whatever it is. Uh, or you might even just write a, a simple sentence. Like just what is the biggest challenge right now in your life? Uh, the next question, what would help you take your next step in knowing and following Jesus? And you just check all that apply. So is it getting into some sort of uh, a group? Is it learning how to read your Bible every day? Is it a teaching on certain books of the Bible or a topic? Just f check all that apply. There's even a space there to, to fill in your own. Flip it over on the back. This is meant for those of you that call Traders Point home and you're here on a regular basis. At, we've been filling up on the weekends. If you've been here lately, you've probably seen that. So we're just wondering, would you be willing to uh, switch services from the service you normally attend to a different one? Just mark yes or no. And then the last question, if yes, which of the following new times would you most likely regularly attend? There's two options here, a Thursday p.m. service at six o'clock or a Sunday 8 a.m. service. <laughs> this is the 11 o'clock crowd, so you're like, no way. All right, so <laughs> I get that. Uh, or, or you might just go, hey, man, neither of those work for me. All right, just, just be honest, fill that in. And uh, 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 drop this off with somebody before you leave today. Thank you for taking the time to fill this out. This is honestly more helpful than you could possibly no. Man, I'm so glad that you're here. If you got a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to John chapter 20. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, one of my pet peeves when I'm listening to somebody give a talk or a message of any kind is when I just have no idea where they're going with it. You ever been in one of those talks? You know, it's just like, man, I can't, I can't figure out the outline. Like, I, I don't know where you're taking us. Like, this is all just kind of seems like a bunch of random thoughts. It didn't even seem like you prepared. Like, that is a pet peeve of mine. And what I hate worse than listening to a talk like that is giving one. So what I want to do today is I just want to, you know, tell you where I'm going. Like, I don't want to blindside you. I don't want to surprise you. This isn't a gotcha kind of moment. I just want to be very, very clear about what my intended purpose is in this talk today. As, after we walk through the passage, I just want to provide you an opportunity, whoever you are, you know, however you got here, you know, whatever's going on in your life, to stand to your feet and to simply say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I desire 
for him to be Lord and Savior of my life. Like you would literally like stand up and say, I believe. And then for many of you, if you haven't been baptized, don't remember your baptism, uh, lots happened since that baptism, um, you, you, you need maybe this idea of like security of where you stand with God, that you, you'd, be, you'd be baptized today. That, that's my aim. I'm just telling you. And some of you are going, challenge accepted. Right? Like I don't intend on doing any of that stuff. And I'd be like, all right, that's, that's totally fine. Like I just wanna be honest, I just wanna be upfront with you. And maybe as you kinda consider all that, like what in the world it would take, like for me to say that to some of you, you're like, man, you're gonna have to navigate a whole bunch of things that are blocking the way of me getting there. And I know for me, like I grew up in church and I, if you're anything at all like me, I was utterly confused by all of this. I mean, it just seemed like there were so many religions and so many people claimed to know the way. And how do you know which one's the right way? And how do you know the truth? And uh, even, even you know, out of the, the Christian God, I was just like, man, there just seems to be like so many rules and so many regulations and so many do's and so many don't, uh, don'ts. And, and I don't really know like what it is that God expects of me. Like, God, what do you even want from me? And one of the things that I want you to know about Jesus is that Jesus, it, it's not easy to follow him, but it should never be complicated. If it's complicated, then we're following somebody else's expectations or maybe even our own false narratives for what that means. Jesus is very clear as to what it is that he wants from us. In fact, he says it in John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. This is the only thing God wants from you. Belief. Believe in the one that he has sent. And for some of you, you're like, you're gonna have to try a little harder than that because that doesn't clear anything up at all for me. Because what do you mean by believe? You believe that he existed, you know, believe, you know, like I believe in, you know, unicorns and fairy tales. Like, what, like just because I believe, now all of a sudden that makes everything great? Like, what in the world does that mean? When Jesus says believe, this is relational talk, not transactional. So he doesn't say, hey, believe in a religion. He didn't say that. He didn't say believe in rules and regulations or even theology or even doctrines, as important as they are. Jesus said, I want you to believe upon me. One of the things that I will never ever do is try to argue you into faith. Now, not that I don't think that there are good arguments. I think they are. I just don't think that that should be the primary thing that we should use to get you into a relationship with Jesus. I think it comes after your decision to follow Jesus. It's, it's supplemental. It, it, the, the fancy word for it is apologetics. And it's this idea that, you know, there, there's good answers to maybe some of the questions that you have. But listen, man, if, if I could argue you into faith, all it's gonna take is a better argument to get you out. It's a relationship that changes things. And one of the things that we see all throughout the New Testament is anytime anybody's life was radically changed, now we're talking like people that were demon-possessed, we're talking about prostitutes, we're talking about thieves and liars and cheats and murderers, the thing that changed their life radically was not a set of theological presuppositions. And it wasn't you know, them getting the, the, an A-plus on the doctrine test, it was this. They had an encounter with Jesus and they put their trust in him. One of the most famous of these is this conversation that Jesus has with a thief on the cross that was hanging next to him. Now, the Romans crucified thieves and criminals. And so between, Jesus is crucified between two of them. And one of them ends up having an encounter with Jesus. Ne never went to church. 
Like Jesus didn't walk him, you know, through the plan of salvation. It was a radical change in this guy's life. He had an encounter. And one of my uh, favorite preaching clips of all time, and when I say clips, I mean, you know, one of my, like, you know, things that, one of my favorite things to do, I'm just gonna kind of nerd out on you for a minute, is I'll get on YouTube and I'll, you know, follow the YouTube rabbit trail, uh, but it's usually like, you know, preaching clips. That's so nerdy, right? So it's, like, it's like the ESPN of pastors. You know, I'm just like, ooh, look at that highlight. Oh man, I could perfect my, my, my shot, right? And, so, and, and one of my favorite preaching clips of all time is a, is a 60 second clip from a guy named Alistair Begg. And he talks about the thief on the cross and I wanna show it to you. Take a look at this 60 second clip. Think about the thief on the cross. I went on a mess. I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, did you, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are you, are you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Mm, isn't that so good? <laughs> That's so good. And by the way, that clip is why I don't have people sit behind me when I preach. <laughs> so you notice the look on the guy's face on the right? <laughs> and he needs Jesus. All right, so <laughs> it was an encounter that changed him. And can I just submit to you, an encounter is what will change you if you have not had it. It's not a sermon. It's not understanding theology. It's not getting the right doctrines right. It is an encounter with the living Jesus, and honestly, guys, that's what I've been praying for you today. Like all week long, I've been praying that you would have an encounter with Jesus. But maybe for you right now, maybe you're like, well, I'd really love to have that, but there's some baggage in the way. And I would just simply say that, man, uh, that it's, it, that's totally fine. Uh, all of us are human beings, we're gonna have baggage in the way, and your baggage could be maybe something that you did a long time ago or something you are currently doing that makes you feel like you're unworthy. Maybe your baggage is church hurt of some kind or somebody broke your trust and, and uh, it, it, may, it, it doesn't matter, whatever it is, it's standing in the way. There's a prayer that you can pray. In fact, uh, it reminds me of this father in Mark chapter nine, his little boy gets possessed by a demon and Jesus comes in and the father says to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us if you can. And that word if kind of triggered Jesus and he kind of cocks his head and he turns to the guy and he's like, if, and he goes, anything is possible if a person believes, and then the father instantly cries out, I do believe, and then he gets honest. Help me overcome my unbelief. And maybe that's a prayer that you can mutter right now under your breath, right where you're sitting. Man, I do believe, God, I wanna believe. Would you help me overcome my unbelief? 
And that is a prayer that Jesus will respond to. And he responds by sending his spirit, his Holy Spirit, to help you overcome your unbelief. By the way, guys, none of us come to Jesus on our own. None of us come to Jesus because we see it ourselves or hear it ourselves or come to understand it ourselves. If you came to Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit prompted you, convicted you, and led you to it. You, you can't do it on your own. And so right now, you, maybe what you need is to say, God, would you help me overcome my unbelief? Like right now, I, I don't know if I buy what this guy up front is saying. Like, I don't know if I believe. Like, there's a whole bunch of challenge. But right now, would you send your Holy Spirit, if you're real at all, to help me overcome my unbelief? And, and he will. And this is why Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. He'll tell you the truth. And the truth will initially hurt, the truth will bring conviction, and then the truth will set you free. The truth brings life. And he refers to Satan as the father of lies. So the question is, who's influencing me the most? The, the spirit of truth or the father of lies? And for some of you, you're going to be deceived no longer, and you're gonna have an encounter with Jesus today. At least that is what I'm praying. Listen, if you are tired of life, you're ready for Jesus. And in John chapter 20, the disciples, they were tired of life. They'd been beat up. Like the last three years, they've been following Jesus around. They're confused most of the time because they think Jesus is bringing about an earthly kingdom. They just don't understand what he means. He keeps talking about his death and resurrection. They never get it. And then the, the Romans arrest him and then they, they crucify him. He's murdered in front of them. That would have been traumatizing. Think about that for a minute. Somebody that you've been spending every waking minute with for the last three years and they are murdered in front of you. That would have rattled you to your core. And in John chapter 20, verse 19, John writes and says, the sun, that Sunday evening, this Sunday evening is the Sunday evening after Jesus' bodily resurrection. The disciples were meeting behind what kind of doors? Locked doors. And here's why. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Why were they afraid? Well, if the Jewish leaders could kill Jesus, they were likely next. It's amazing what fear does to our lives and the grip that it has upon us. It's amazing what fear does to deafen our ears to good news. If you go back to verse 18, Jesus has already physically appeared to Mary Magdalene. And then she runs back to the disciples and she's like, guys, I've literally seen Jesus resurrected. He's alive. And it's amazing to me that they don't immediately run out with her and try to go find him. Instead, they're behind locked doors. Fear had deafened the news that Mary had come to bring. And so there they are, locked doors. And it says next, suddenly. Like, that just like, like that's what it means. Like, just right then and there, Jesus was standing there among them. I love that so much. It doesn't say Jesus called ahead. It doesn't say Jesus knocked on the door. You know, the visual that I get is like the disciples are all, you know, they, they got the lights kind of down low. They're all huddled behind the locked door. They're like, hey man, like, like James, like, do you hear anything outside? And all of a sudden Jesus just standing behind him. He's like, hey guys, what are we listening for? And they're like, JC, you know, it's like, where did you, you gotta stop sneaking up on us like that. And he's just like standing there. Now notice the very first word out of Jesus' mouth. Some of you need to hear this word today. Peace. Mm. Peace be with you. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. Why say the word peace? Because he knew they didn't have it. Why show them the wounds in his hands and side? Because he knew they needed to see it because they were struggling to believe. 
And as they did this, they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, second time of three times in this passage, Jesus is gonna say this word. Peace be with you. You just gotta understand, man, the disciples were not expecting to ever see Jesus alive ever again. If they did, they would not have been in a locked room. They would have been running out searching to find him. They thought he was dead. And this is one of the many reasons why I believe that the resurrection narrative just rings true. Now listen, if you're struggling to believe that somebody could come back from the dead, I totally get that. That is not crazy. That, that is hard to believe. And yet you gotta read the narrative and say, okay, well, if it isn't true, like if it's fiction, then the guys that were writing it, they would have written it differently. There's a whole bunch of things that I could point out for the sake of time, I don't have time to go through the whole list. Let me just point out too. If you were going to make up the resurrection narrative, the very first person that you would have had Jesus appear to is somebody really, really important whose voice would have carried weight all throughout the land. Somebody like, I don't know, Pontius Pilate. Have Jesus show up to him. And all of a sudden, he's the one declaring that Jesus is resurrected. But instead, the very first person that Jesus showed up to, and I love this so much, was, was Mary Magdalene, a woman. And in that day and time, many of you know this, that a woman's testimony uh, was not viable even in a court of law. I'm not saying that's right, I'm saying that's what it was. And so if they were making it up, they wouldn't have had a woman be the first one to see Jesus, they would have had somebody whose voice carried weight. The second thing is if they were making it up, the disciples wouldn't have made themselves look so bad. Like if you're making it up, they would have been like, oh, we, we totally knew he was gonna resurrect from the dead. That's why we were all camped out around you know, the, the, the tomb all night long. So as the sun came up on that Easter morning, you know, we were all huddled around, and you know, as the stone began to roll away, we were counting down 10, <laughs> 9, 8. You know, and the stone comes out, and Jesus comes out, you know, and hey, we did it, we did it, you know, and they're celebrating. But instead, they're like, no, he'd resurrected, he'd appeared to Mary. We're locked behind doors because we're afraid. Man, that just rings true. And then it says in verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, some of you maybe have heard of him, Thomas. Oh, Thomas. He wasn't with the others when Jesus came. We don't know where he was, but I, I totally get this. It always seems like I'm missing the main event. Aaron, did you see the big game? No, I totally missed it. Didn't even know it was on. You know, Aaron, did you see the, oh man, I was out. You know, and, uh, Thomas like misses the main event. Like that would have been so bad. He comes back in. I don't know where, you know, he came back from Meyer or something you know, with more chips or something, and, and they're like, hey, like, Thomas, like, you would never believe this. Like, Jesus was just here. And, and for whatever reason, Jesus had already left. And so in verse 25, they tell him, they go, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And here was his reply. Some of you are really gonna resonate with him. I won't believe. Unless what? Unless I see. And I don't know about you, that sounds totally reasonable. I won't believe unless I see what? The nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. And I would imagine the disciples are all standing there slightly offended. You don't believe us? Like we literally just saw, Mary saw him. Like you're not gonna believe our testimony about this? We put our fingers in the wounds in his hands and in his side. And I would imagine Thomas is like, great. Did you take a picture? Did you think to get a selfie with him? You know, that would help kind of back up your story. And they're like, no. And then uh, how John writes the narrative is it just kind of like, it just kind of stops there. 
and you pick up in the very next verse, we see that a week goes by. Like there's no resolution to this. Eight days later, verse 26, the disciples were together again. They're gonna run it all back. And this time Thomas was with them. Thomas, make sure not to leave. The doors were locked because they're still in fear a week later. But suddenly, as before, Jesus just shows up. He's standing there among them. And then he says it for the third time in this passage. Peace be with you. And then he turns his attention to Thomas. And he's like, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands and put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Now I just need to point this out. I think that Thomas gets a bad rap. And some of you know what I'm talking about. If you grew up in church, if you know the Bible story, what's Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas. Come on, man, one time. One time you get a nickname that sticks with you forever. I would imagine Thomas is really annoyed by that. This is a little pro tip. When we get to heaven, you see Thomas out on the streets. Don't say anything about this. Don't bring it up. I think he's probably gonna be a little touchy about it. Here's the thing that we need to know is that Thomas uh, actually, like he's not a coward. Thomas was one of the bravest disciples. He was one of the, lest we forget, he was the guy who said, let's go to Jerusalem and die with Jesus. Thomas isn't necessarily a doubter. He's a realist. And I can respect that about him. Why is he a realist? Because he saw Jesus die. He was standing there and he watched him die on a cross. He didn't watch him swoon. He didn't watch him pass out. He saw the Romans who were excellent at murder, by the way, they knew what they were doing, take a spear and run it into his heart. And dead people don't walk again. Thomas is just being real. And Thomas is like, man, I'm not gonna believe it until I see it. And Jesus gives him the evidence that he needs. Now check out Thomas's audible response. Verse 28. My Lord and my God, he exclaimed. And I want you to just underline that, circle it, highlight it, recognize that there was an audible response that came out of him. He didn't touch Jesus' hands inside and go, hmm, let me contemplate that for a while. No, his response was, my Lord and my God. Now here's the thing that you may not be expecting. Did you know that you and I are in this passage as well? Jesus brings us up in the very next verse. Look at verse 29. This is where we're going to end the passage. Jesus told him, well, you believe because you've seen me. And Thomas wasn't the only one. There were 500 other eyewitnesses that all saw Jesus alive physically. He goes, you believe because you've seen me. And then he says this, blessed, in other words, I'm offering a blessing, are those um, that's you and me. He was referring to, the, to us. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And what I love so much about this is Jesus, like if you're struggling to believe, Jesus is acknowledging how hard that might be to believe. And he's saying, Thomas, you get the opportunity to see me alive, like physically, and to touch me, but there's gonna be millions and millions and millions of people that are gonna come after you that do not have that opportunity to see me physically, and I'm offering a blessing upon them if they put their faith in me and choose to believe without being able to see me physically. 
And then there is this reason why Jesus then provides something called his Holy Spirit. And he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave the gift of the Holy Spirit to help those who can't see me physically put their trust and believe in me. And so through the Spirit, you can have an encounter with Jesus even though he isn't physically standing in front of you and Jesus offers a blessing. So in the next few moments, what I wanna do is I just wanna give you like three very tangible things that putting your belief in Jesus gives you. This is not just a go to heaven when you die card. You put your belief in Jesus now, your eternal uh, uh, future is secure, but it makes an immediate impact right here and now. Let me just give you three real quickly. Number one, believing in Jesus gives me the hope I need for the fragile future I face. Your future is fragile, and I think most of us know it. We just don't like to think about it. You know, we're so busy making plans. You know, my Outlook calendar is full. You know, we're always saying, you know, we, we, here, we've got spring break plans, and we've got summer plans, and here's our plans in the fall, and here's what we're gonna do next Tuesday, and all that's fine and good. But how often do we stop and just really give some thought to our eternal future and, and where, where we're going? We, we get so prepared to live, but are we prepared for our future in eternity? And, and Jesus would say it this way in Mark chapter eight. He would go, uh, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And there are so many things that are outside of our control and putting your belief in Jesus offers us hope for just this fragile life that we all face. Here's number two, believing in Jesus gives me peace when I face anxiety and fear. Jesus says the word three times in this passage because he knew they needed to hear it. Peace, peace, peace. And anxiety and fear is a huge issue in our culture today and I'm not gonna do an extended treatment of addressing those I have. In fact, you can find just recent sermons where we spent a whole hour just talking about anxiety and fear. I'll just simply say that when we are so wrapped up in fear, it not only robs you of life, it just ushers you right into death. And in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace. Peace of what? Peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. In other words, you can't find this anywhere else. And he goes, so don't be troubled or afraid. Here's the third thing. Believing in Jesus gives me the courage I need to face every challenge that comes. And there is just going to be another challenge around every corner, isn't there? You know, it's like, have you ever said this? Like, hey man, like when life settles down, then I'll get serious about this. When life settles down, then I'll turn my attention over here. When does life ever settle down? There's always another challenge. Like I'm reminded of the words of that great theologian, Mike Tyson, who said everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And there's just a challenge around every corner. And, and the issue isn't to be challenge free. The issue isn't to escape challenges or to wait till things settle down. The issue is to plug into the power in, that will sustain you through the challenge. This is what Jesus would say is he goes, hey, what, what, what should we do, what should we do? And Jesus goes, here's an analogy. You just be the branch, I'm the vine. And the branch doesn't provide nutrients. The branch's only job is to stay connected to the vine. That's where the power source is. And so we stay connected to Jesus as we just know life's gonna throw us all kinds of challenges and he promises to sustain us 
through it. In fact, the same power that resurrected him from the dead is the same power available to you and me. The question is, is are we plugged in? So not long ago, I went into our pantry and I was trying to make some toast in the morning and I, I pushed the button down and I'm waiting for the toast to pop up and, and uh, nothing ever happened, never heated up, not, no toast. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm you know, shake, you know, shaking it and banging it, and, you know, as you should do, and, and trying to figure out how to fix it, you know, and, and put it down again. It's not working. And so I go out, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated. I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, you know, uh, on the way home from work tonight, I'm stop at the store, I'm gonna get a new toaster. And she's like, why? And I'm like, because it's broken. She's like, I don't think it's broken. I'm like, yeah, it's broken, because I, I banged on it didn't work. And she goes, it's unplugged. It's unplugged. Like you just need to plug it in, right? And that sounds like silly and that sounds crazy. That just shows like how bright I am as your, hopefully your confidence in me. I'm dividing the word of God. I can't even plug in a toaster. All right. So, 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 uh, but, but the same question is, is true here. Here's just a pastoral observation. This is not an accusation. This is an observation. And I say this with great empathy and understanding because I've been there. My pastoral observation over the last three years is there's been a whole lot of people due to the pandemic and all the, everything we've been through over the last three years, that whenever life has gotten really messy and painful and complicated, have unplugged. And I've talked to so many people, they'll, they'll like see me and they'll just like, yeah, you know, I have a marriage problem, I haven't been to church in a while, just, my marriage has been falling apart. And I've just been really going through these bouts of like mental health and so I had to stop serving in this ministry and I've just kind of pulled away and, and I, I'm meaning to get back. I'm about ready to get back. Or you know, like, uh, you know I, I lost my job or I've had this like health thing and, and you know, I've, just sort of, I've just sort of retreated. Now, uh, please don't, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say here. Is there ever a time for you to take a break? Absolutely. Is there ever a time for you to Sabbath? You bet. I, I don't want anybody burning out serving in a ministry. But why is it that every time our life begins to fall apart, we think that the answer is to unplug and to retreat instead of leaning in and staying plugged in to the power that God provides through the community of faith. And I wanna invite some of you to, to replug back in. In Ephesians chapter one, it says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who what? Believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Do you understand what that passage is saying? That the same power that raised Jesus up from the grave is available to you no matter what you're facing if you just plug into it, right? So, so how do we get it? How do we get it? I'm gonna run through this real, real quick. Uh, how, you, how do you put your belief in Jesus? Well, first of all, I need to believe that I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner worth saving. And all of us are guilty of sin. Now, all, all this sin means uh, is, uh, it's an archery term. That means to miss the mark. So if you got with your crossbow and you're like, you know, shooting at a target and you're just off, off, off center, it's, it's missing God's best for your life. That is a good definition of sin. It's just missing God's best. He's creator God. He knows how your life works best. He knows how your, um, you know, sex life works best. He knows how your thought life works best, your relationship life, like your money life, all that stuff. He knows how it works best. And when we say, nah, I think I know, that's sin. Uh, here's how Romans describe it. When I began to worship money, sex, and power over creator God, those are good gifts that he gave to us, but we worship the creation over creator God. That's sin. Uh, Luther would use this uh, term to kind of describe it. It's a Latin term that just means that it's like life turned in on itself. Like you're only focused on self rather than God or others. And all of us are guilty. In fact, the law in the Old Testament is so extensive that it's just basically saying if you took all of the law of God, which goes way beyond the Ten Commandments, by the way, which I don't know about you guys, but like I fail at just about all the Ten Commandments, 
And he goes, but the law goes much more extensively than that. The law is there uh, to basically show us what righteousness looks like. Like if you wanna know uh, how uh, good enough to be to get into heaven, just follow all of the law perfectly and completely. And by the way, nobody can do it, nobody's ever done it, the only exception is Jesus. In fact, in, uh, Hebrew, in Romans chapter three, it says, no one can ever be made right with God by doing. Um, that, that's the definition of religion, just, just do enough. We can't be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Uh, well, why do we have the law? Well, the law is simply there to show us how sinful we are, it's a mirror. And then it says this, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. That's one of my favorite sentences in the Bible. That's like saying, I can get fit because the calories in the donuts don't count. It's like saying, we, we can be made right with God without keeping all that law, as was promised by the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Verse 22, memorize this, you know, uh, write this out, put this on your mirror, tattoo it on your arm. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it, like we're made right with God by putting it all on him. Now I know some of you, like the inner attorney right now is going, no, that doesn't sound right. You're telling me somebody who's just a jerk to other people, who lies and cheats, and they just say, no, I believe in God, that somehow that's their Trump, you know, Trump card, get out of jail free, you know? No, it's not. Because when you place your faith in Jesus, that should be a transformational thing. All of us know somebody who's a really, 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 really good person, but they haven't yet put their trust in Jesus. And we all know somebody who's a really crummy person who uses this as a trump card, and Jesus knows the difference. He'll sort it out. He says, no, 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 man, you are made right with God, not by believing in a set of presuppositions, coming to church every week, or being religious. You're made right with God when your life is hidden in Jesus Christ, and he paid the debt so that you could be set free, no matter what. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Some of you are having an affair right now. That doesn't, doesn't matter. God is beckoning you and calling you out of that. It says you are so loved. Some of you right now are, if your eyeballs in an addiction, some of you right now are doing things unethically, immorally at work, you're cheating people out of money, you know it, you're here, you're ashamed, you, you feel like the roof's gonna cave in because you're here, it, it, this is for you. Some of you, no, 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 Aaron, you don't understand. You don't understand what I've done, you don't understand where I've been. And I would just simply say, you are overestimating your sin and you are underestimating the power of a savior who walked out of a grave so that you could be set free. Number two, I need to believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross. Some of you would be like, man, why, why is this? I, honestly, I think that all the world's major religions are essentially the same. They just get a few details wrong. It's kind of like the big elephant, and you know, Christians are holding on to the trunk, and Hindus are holding on to the tail, and Muslims are holding on to a leg. And we've all got pieces of the truth, and we put them all together. That's, no, oh, you've never studied all the religions, because they're fundamentally different. So Hindus believe that we're all on a big merry-go-round and we're working towards perfection by when we die, we get reincarnated, we just come back as, a, as another animal and we take another round. Uh, Buddhism believes something similar, but they just believe eventually you get off the ride and you're just sort of done. It's called nirvana. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all believe, just like Eminem, you've only got one shot, all right? <laughs> I have not given up on that joke all weekend and you guys responded the best, all right? So, he Hebrews 9 says, you, you live once. You live once. 
So it's not like this idea of like, well, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna be reincarnated as this thing and I get another opportunity to kind of take what I learned here. No, 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 no. You, you live once, look at what it says in Hebrews 9, just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment. That's either gonna be a really, really good day or a really bad one. And so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. So what's the difference between Jews, Christians, and Muslims? Well, for the Jew, their hope is that God will be pleased with how well they've lived their life. It is so admirable. But that, that is such a tall task. It's impossible. For the Muslim, they're hoping that they've done enough to appease Allah. For the Christian, it's Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God that transforms you, by the way, is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Number three, I need to believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. You need to believe that. Because if you don't, like the, the power isn't there for whatever it is that you're facing. Listen, I have been to a lot of graves of well-known people. I've been to George Washington's grave. I've been to Charles Spurgeon's grave. That's kind of tucked in the back of this cemetery. It's kind of, it's kind of sad, it's being neglected. Um, I've been to Red Square in Moscow and I've, I visited Lenin's grave. You actually kind of walk through this like thing and his, his corpse is in there. He's kind of behind glass and under lights and he's kind of leaned up a little bit and his arms are crossed and he's got the goat, it's very creepy. You walk through there like you see him and, and uh, in last month I was in Israel and I got to visit Jesus' grave. There was an hour long wait to get in. People were walking in and the reason why you could go in is because it's empty, he's not there. He has walked out of a grave. And if you're struggling to believe that, I love how intellectually honest Paul is as he writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. So this is all just a big waste of time. Christianity completely falls apart if Jesus didn't walk out of a grave. And then he says this, this is really sobering. He goes, and by the way, you're still on the hook for your sins. You better start trying to pay it off now. It's a futile effort. There's no way you're gonna be able to pay it off. The only way you're paid off from your sins and redeemed and restored is if Jesus walked out of a grave. But then he says this in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who died. You know what that means? That means because Jesus walked out of a grave, one day when you put your trust in him, you will too. That's what that means. Number four, um, I need to believe that Jesus is both savior, he saves me from my sins, but he's also asked to be Lord. And that just means you invite him into every area of your life. And none of this, you know, if your life is a dresser drawer, you clear out the sock drawer and say, Jesus, you can have that, but you need to stay out of my bedroom. You know, you need to stay out of my bank account. You need to stay out of my, you know, personal life. No, Jesus wants to be the dresser that all the other drawers fit into. Why, because he's, you know, the IRS trying to audit you for the way that you live? No, because he wants to bring blessing into every area of your life. He wants to be involved as Lord. So, how do you put your faith in Jesus? Well, when we look through the scriptures, we see there's two very physical, tangible things that people did. Here's the first one. They made a public, audible declaration of it. It's Thomas putting his hands in Jesus, hands inside, and then going, my Lord and my God. Like he didn't just contemplate it, he said it. Um, listen, your faith is personal for sure, but it's never meant to be private. In Romans chapter 10, verse nine, it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, notice how definitive this is. You will be saved. 
And for so many of you right now, you're doubting your salvation, you're questioning, you're wondering if you've done enough, you're wondering if the first one took, you know, you're like, I don't know if I was sincere enough. Right there is as simple as you can make it. He says, if you openly declare Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can have uh, a confidence to know that you are saved because this is not a work that you do, it is a work that Jesus has done on your behalf. You're just simply claiming the gift. And he goes, for it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Jesus would say this in Matthew 10, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Do you get the picture there? It's where you stand up and you go, I believe. And then God kind of nudges, or Jesus nudges God and he's like, yeah, they're with me. They, they declare my name, I, I'm declaring their name before you. But then he says in verse 33, anyone who denies me here on earth, I will deny before my Father in heaven. So here in just a minute, I'm gonna give you an opportunity, whoever you are, wherever you are, to stand to your feet and to simply say, I believe. This is an invitation for those of you who've never done it. This is an invitation for those of you that have maybe been a Christian for a number of years, but maybe you've grown stagnant in your faith, you've wandered away, you've unplugged from the power, or maybe you've questioned your salvation. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to put those doubts to bed once and for all by you just being able to stand up and just being as obedient as you can to the scriptures and saying, I believe. Listen, when I do a wedding, I officiate a wedding between a bride and a groom, I, I ask them, hey, do you, do you receive each other uh, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do you part? And something audible and positive better come out. <laughs> like if I say that and the groom's just like, I'm agreeing with you in my heart. You know, I, she's probably gonna have a hard time with that. This, this is that multiplied by a thousand. If Jesus died a public death for you on a cross, you can publicly declare that he is Lord and Savior over your life. And some of you are like, well, that makes me really, really nervous. Well, man, of course it's gonna make you nervous. This is the biggest decision of your life. I was nervous, but you know what? When the words come out, Jesus says the spirit then comes in. Number two is that they were baptized by immersion. It's an act of obedience. You, one could argue the first act of obedience as you begin to follow Jesus. In Acts chapter two, when Peter preaches this sermon, it says that Peter's words pierced their hearts. That's conviction. And they said to him, the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Like, like how do we respond to this? And Peter did not say, well, you know, agree in your heart, pray a prayer, fill out a card, walk an aisle. He said, no, repent of your sins. That means you turn around from where you're going, you turn to God, and then be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive this gift that Jesus has been talking about of the Holy Spirit. We make baptism way more complicated than it needs to be. Like baptism, I don't think, I mean, you know, we could ask all day, like why in the world did God think up baptism. Like, why, did, why was Jesus baptized? Well, I, I don't really know. Honestly, I don't really care. It is something that he has asked us to do, and, and it's powerful. It's powerful, and here's why. Because it symbolizes your watery grave, and you need that to become a new person in Christ. So it's not what saves you. It is actually a picture of what saves you. And so you're being lowered into the water. It's a grave, and you're being brought up out of it. It's not a work that you do. It's being done to you and you're being brought up as a new creation, First Peter would say this, is, this represents a cleansing, not of dirt from the body, although we've had a lot of baptisms. It's, it's a, little, a little dirty, all right? Uh, don't let that deter you, though. Um, but a pledge of a good conscience towards God. 
And man, we just jumped through all kinds of hoops on this. Well, let me wait for the time is right. And let me wait till life settles down. And let me wait till I overcome this addiction. And let me wait till I end that relationship. Guys, if you, I, I had a conversation with a lady backstage that was beautiful. And she just said, I've been running from God for 30 years. I didn't come here today intending to be baptized. But she said, I just felt that if I didn't do it today, if I didn't put my trust in Jesus, I'd never do it. And maybe for some of you, that's where you're at. It's like right now, you need to respond. And because every time you feel that sense of conviction and you resist it, your heart just grows a little harder towards it. Some of you would be like, well, you know, I was sprinkled as a baby and confirmed later. Does that count? Well, of course it counts. And that's a beautiful thing. You should thank your grandparents, your parents, whoever had you sprinkled, because what they were doing is they were trying to establish a spiritual foundation for you to live your life, and you should thank them for that, but, but here's the issue with sprinkling. There's two main ones. The first one is that the Bible never prohibits it. The Bible also never commands it. What the Bible does command is, is immersion for the reasons that I just mentioned. The second thing is that they have memory of your sprinkling, you don't. And you say, well, I was confirmed later. Fantastic, but you should have a memory of that day when you laid down your life you died to the old self, and you became a new creation in Jesus Christ, and there's something really, really powerful about it. So here's what we're gonna do right now, is that I'm just gonna ask you if you're ready, and this is not one of these instances where, you know, the first will be last. This is an instance where the first will be bold. And I'm just gonna ask you to stand to your feet, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're ready, you need to recommit, whatever, you stand to your feet and go, I believe. You determine the volume. Just stand to your feet right now and go, I believe. Just all over the room, as people do this, just say it. Like I believe. You can stay standing to your feet. For those of you that are saying that for the very first time, we celebrate that with you. I know that is not an easy thing to do. Now, if you have never been baptized, if you need certainty around your baptism, you can just, we'll stay standing to our feet. You can just step out from the aisle where you are. You can walk out these double doors. I'll be out there and we would love to receive you and to baptize you. The campus pastors will give you instructions at your campus. Go ahead and stand to your feet. We're gonna worship together. If you'd like to be baptized, just step out where you are and follow me out the doors. Let's go.